Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, good morning, everyone. Actually, before I get into this, so good to see all of you here today. About, uh, about four years ago, um, my wife and I, we moved um, back here to Arvada from, from London. And, um, you know, we came here to the church and started serving here at the church and had just an amazing time. First off, we were just overwhelmed at your kindness and your love towards us and your acceptance of us. And, um, you know, it, just, it was just good to be home. We just felt like, man, this, these are my folk. I don't know if you ever feel that way, but I thought these are my folk, and that's what we felt like. We felt like, man, you know, they, they actually like us, and it's really nice, you know. Um, but anyway, we, we, back then, four years ago, um, we were led of the Lord to actually come here, and, and it was supernatural circumstances, how all that fit together. But as we came back and as we began to, to interact with people, the Lord placed something deep on my heart. And it was this phrase that we've just seen up here, that we were better together. And we, you know, we, we had a lot of great events going on here at the church. And, and, but what I recognized is that there weren't a lot of deep relationships. And as I, as I began to look further into this, I realized there were deep relationships from 10 years ago. Deep relationships from 15 years ago. But not deep relationships from one year ago. Or not deep relationships from two years ago. Or three years ago. Or four years ago. And what I realized is that I need some really good relationships. I need some friendships in my life. And I realized that you also needed this, these friendships in your life as well. I was hanging out with people who had all this experience through life and raising kids. And, and I never got to talk to them. I had, there was these people who, who, were, who were incredibly wise for their, for their age, and they've had so much experience that they also had things to say into my life. And I, because of my journey, had things to say into your life. And, and if you look around our church, the reality is we are a multi-generational church. What that means is this, is that when you get to heaven, we're all going to be there no matter what your age at all. That's, that's what it is. And so that we are a church that's multi-generational. We have generations from, from, how do you say, from mature to not mature, from old to young. That's what we are about. And so what I knew in my heart is that God had something better for us. But that could only be access for us as a church if we were together. And so that's where, again, this phrase of we are better together. Can you turn and tell someone that this morning and say we are better together? Just tell them. And if you're a husband and wife, you got in a fight, you need this. So make sure you take some time and say this slowly. We're better together. Remind yourself of that. Because when you become a follower of Jesus, here's something you need to understand. God didn't save you to be a loner. He didn't save you, which, I, you know, I see this a lot and, and, and have seen it my whole life. If, you know, well, listen, it's just me and Jesus and my Bible and my prayer closet. I don't need anybody else. Just leave me alone. Listen, God didn't save you to be alone. He saved you to be a part of what we call a family. And what we do know about this is that families are better together because there is, a, there is a natural function of a family that helps you in your life. So you may not have biological family here at the church, which is totally fine. You may not, may not have a brother, a sister, a mom, or a dad. But according to the Bible, you have a family. 
According to the Bible, when you get saved, when you join a community, a church, you are given a family. People to care for you, people to, for you to care for them, people for you to do life with. And, and here's the reality. You can have a large family. Anytime you have a large family, not everyone has the same personality. I think that's a healthy thing. Most people will search for the church that fits them perfectly. And then you're a church that's made out of the same people, and you're not balanced because I need people to balance me out. That's why Scripture says that iron sharpens iron. It's talking about people fellowshipping together that aren't the same personality. That we become greater followers of Jesus when we are together. But the Bible says the moment that you receive Christ, the moment you receive what he's done for you, you, the moment you recognize you are purchased by his blood, what that means is this, that everyone is under the same banner that belongs to this church, and that's you, you are under the banner of the blood of Jesus Christ. So he's the one that sits at the head of the table. He's the one who says he's the chief shepherd of this church. Me, I'm an under-shepherd. I'm submitted under him. The rest of the leaders, we are under him. He's leading you because, and all of us because we are all part of the same family. Amen to that? So today is an exciting day because I recognize that God has something special for each one of us. And so before we get into this message, I want to talk to you about the beginning of the church. Not this church. The beginning of the church. Not little C, which is Faith Bible Chapel. Big C, the church. And so when we look at the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. It's a spectacular story. It's amazing. It's full of just amazing supernatural things. And the beginning of the church means this, that Jesus had died, he had be, or sorry, he'd been crucified, he had died, he was buried, he had rose again, he had conquered death, hell, and the grave, he is resurrected out, resurrected out of the grave and begins to walk with his disciples for 40 days. Now, how many know that if someone was dead, now they are alive, and they're hanging out with you and talking about things, you're going to listen to what he says. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's interacting with them. He's, he's teaching them things that we don't know everything that he taught them, but we know some of the things. But this is the instruction he tells them. He, after he tells them all this stuff for 40 days, he gives them the great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I've taught you. You do the same to them. He then ascends to heaven. Just as a reminder, he says, in the same, an angel appears after that and says, in the same manner in which he ascended, he will also descend. I take that to be right on the Mount of Olives, just where he ascended. He's going to descend again one day very soon. That's why we, listen, just, this, is, this is not in my notes. This is for free today. Here's the deal. We have a limited amount of time to have an impact on this world. And so we can spend it doing things that don't matter, or we can spend it doing things that matter. And what we're talking today is, is about things that actually matter. And so Jesus gives these instructions to them. Then he ascends to heaven. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, talking to his disciples. I want you to wait, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. Holy Spirit's going to, to do something. It's going to baptize you with fire. And they're like, I don't know, what does that mean? So they went to Jerusalem, and they went to what's an upper room. Now, I've heard a lot of teachings about the upper room. And let me just explain to you in the Greek what upper room means. It means a, a room that is above another room is what that means. It's an upper room. It's a hangout place. And so they're all there together. And remember, the beginning of the church. 
Remember, this is, it just, this is just happening. Jesus had been talking with them, leading them. And so I would say majority of the church shows up, and they're in this upper room. Peter stands up in Acts 1.15, and he says, he says this. Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So I'm sure the whole church wasn't there, but this is a good group of them. So some of them were maybe working. Some of them, you know, maybe they had a doctor's appointment that day. I don't know. But anyway, they, they, they weren't there. But there was 120. So the beginning of the church was not that large. It was about 120. So then the Holy Spirit comes on them, empowers them, and baptizes them. This is very important, and many times this gets skipped when they talk, people talk about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most misunderstood um, things in the church today. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's a person. Let me correct myself. It, it's, there's a lot of misunderstanding around the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit came and baptized them so that they could be what? Witnesses. So they could represent Jesus Christ on this earth and point people to him. So they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter leaves the upper room. Remember Peter? Peter goes, he, he denies before Jesus is crucified, he denies Jesus, that he even knows Jesus to a little girl. And, and, the, and the rooster crows three times and he realizes, man, I, I've totally blown it. And then Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to Peter on the Sea of Galilee and cooks him breakfast. And Peter goes, Jesus, is that you? I, I, I abandoned you. I, I denied knowing you. And he jumps and he swims to shore. And Jesus is cooking Peter breakfast. And he asks Peter three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, God, Jesus, you know I love you. It's very interesting how Peter denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? How many times? Three times. He was restoring Peter. So Peter goes from this moment of denying Jesus to a little girl. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room. Right after the upper room, Peter goes out to the steps that lead up to the temple. If you come with me to Israel in November, we get to stand on these steps. Anyway, he, he goes up there. He begins to preach. He preaches his first message. And this is what we find out in Acts 2.41. Peter stood up. Oh, sorry. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved. Wouldn't you like that on a Sunday morning, 3,000 people get saved on one Sunday? That'd be great. It'd be wonderful. So just so you know, there was a lot of criticism about a mega church, meaning churches that are over 1,000 and churches that are over 2,000. They get all kinds of criticism. Just so you know, the beginning of the church actually started off as a mega church. There were 3,000 people that day. So... Listen, there would have been articles written about how Peter was a, her, was a heretic because he had 3,000 people in his church. The reality is this. The church exploded. And so from that moment, from this moment on, the Bible says that, that God added to their numbers daily. In other words, it continued to grow. It continued to move forward. It continued to reach more people for Jesus. It continued to make more disciples. There was a movement forward that happened. Then in Acts 4, 4, this is what you need to understand as they continued to grow. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Remember, this is just counting just the men. So the church is probably fifteen to 20,000 people. I mean, this, this happened within like four chapters. I don't know the timeline, but this happened really quick. And so, so the church grew and grew and grew. And there's a reason why I'm telling you this. You thought, I thought we were talking about small groups. Now we're talking about how big the church was. But this is what happened. Acts 6.1, the believers rapidly multiplied. So addition's good, multiplication is better. So 
This took place all in Jerusalem. It, did not, it had not gone outside of Jerusalem yet. And we read the report that Paul, who then comes to Jerusalem, they now are trust Paul because first they thought they were out to get him. But they trust Paul. He comes back to Jerusalem. And someone gives a report to Paul. So they give a report to Paul. And this is what they say to Paul out of Acts 21-20. You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. So there was a revival happening. So many scholars estimate that in Jerusalem was around 200,000, 250,000 people in Jerusalem. They are Jews, okay? They are Jews. That out of the 200,000, that 100,000 of them became followers of Jesus. So talk about a movement. Talk about influence. Talk about an impact. How in the world do you lead 100,000 people? How in the world do, do, are we a part of a community that's exploding and growing? How do you do that? So what was the structure? How, how do they grow to such number? So here's the question then as we get into this today. How did they grow and where do they meet? This is a big deal because this is a logistical problem. you got a church of 100,000 people. How are we going to grow and then how are we going to meet? And so I'm a pretty simple person. I believe if the Bible clearly says how they did that, then we can look at that and also follow that model. So in Acts 5, 42, it shows how they met and how they grew. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. That's how the New Early Church began. So in the temple courts, they would gather, which is the large gathering outside of the temple that's in, that's in Jeru- that's in, that was in Jerusalem. And they gathered in these large temple courts. They, they didn't worship in the temple because that's for the priests. So they gathered in the, in, in the meeting areas. And so they preached. The gospel was preached. It was, it was the disciples were, were continued to tell the story how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and that every type and shadow pointed to him, pointed to his sacrifice. He's the Passover lamb. If you put your trust in him, you can have eternal life. He is the prophesied Messiah that had been prophesied from the, from the beginning of time from out of the Garden of Eden. And so they begin to understand and grow and disciples were being made. But also there was the temple courts, which was the large gathering. So large group worship. So that's where they gather. That's us here on a Sunday morning. We gather here on Sundays. We gather here on Wednesdays, first Wednesdays of every month. This is our large group worship. There's something powerful that happens. The, the Word of God is being preached. The worship, we're worshiping together. We're ministering to one another in this type of setting. But also there was a second half of that, and that is house to house. So then they moved to house to house, small group fellowship. They didn't do one or the other. They did what? They did both. And so not only was this a strategy for then, I believe it's a strategy for today. So they were impacted by large group worship. Also, they were, they were impacted by small group fellowship. Now, this is difficult for us Americans. who we, I mean, we, on our way home from work, the only thing we want to see is the inside of our car and to the inside of our garage and to the inside of our living room and to the inside of our refrigerator. But it's a part of the community that God's called us to be a part of. Large group worship, small group fellowship. So why small groups? And that's really what I want to share with you today. This, is very, this means a lot to me. Because I know that if we can get this as a church, we can experience the life that the New Testament church experienced. And so number one, why small groups? Because small groups are part of the biblical model of church. 
God even, God believes that we're better together. It's, it's, he, he knows that. And, when, and here's the reality. When we follow a New Testament model, we're going to have New Testament results. So, but here's the reality. Just like anything, there's always critics. There's always critics of both. There's critics of the large group gathering. There's critics of the small group um, fellowship. So you can, you can have the critics of the large group gathering say this. You know, the large group gathering, this here, isn't effective. You can't disciple, and you just need house church. You, that's the only place you can really make disciples. You can really make disciples and only in house church. Then you have, then you have critical you have people who are critical against the small groups or the small group fellowship. They say, well, it's really not necessary. People don't have the time. It just doesn't fit our culture anymore. It's, just, you know, it's too risky. You, you just can't do it. Now, here's the deal. I studied into the, the house church movement because I actually went to Europe. I took a conference about this house church movement that's happening in Europe. And, and I, as you get further into it, you realize that there are, there are some difficulties with, with house church. It lacks oversight and it lacks biblical leadership so house church is this it's the only thing that people do it's a house church there's one there's usually a pastor who leads that house church in many cases especially within china you'll see many in many cases there is control happens manipulation happens there's no leadership and there's no accountability it happens all over the world so you get one pastor who has one church in his house and there's no Board of elders that we have here at the church to say, hey, pastor, knock it off. You're wrong or you're fired. We're finding someone else who can love these people. Which that's why you need a board. That's why you need what's called biblical leadership and eldership. And so this is, this is what happens in the house church. But on the other side, you have large group gatherings. And on that side, it looks good on paper. But many times it lacks relationship that the house of the small group gives you. And so it lacks one-on-one discipleship in this long, long, large gathering. It lacks biblical fellowship. And so what do we want? Do we want large groups where we can declare the word of God and the gospel and yet attract people to have a place to invite people and have a strong voice in our community that we support world missions and we can send our own missionaries out? Or do we want small groups with hands-on impact and mission discipleship to care for people and to build a relationship? Which one do you want? you got to choose one or the other. No, we don't. We can have both. I'll take them both because they're a biblical model of what church is about. So this is the biblical model of church. And so large group worship and small group fellowship. And I'm telling you, we just don't make this up. I'm just not making this up because it works. I'm making it up because it's a biblical model that can bring us health in every area of our, of our community here. And the second reason why we do small groups here is this. Small groups remind us that we are a part of the family of God. It reminds us that you're not here alone. It reminds you that just because you don't want to be around anybody else, it reminds you that you need to be around somebody else. And Paul, here's Paul. Paul's writing to this church in, in Corinth. He's, he's laying things out for them. Listen, you need this in your life. And he reminds the Christians that they're a part of a family. He says this to them. In 2 Corinthians 6, 18, he's quoting from Jeremiah. He's quoting from Leviticus. And he's quoting from Isaiah. He's saying this. I, and this is what God is saying to you and to this church in Corinth. I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God himself is clarifying you are a part of a family. 
You may feel like you're an orphan. You were, there were no orphans in the body of Christ. You may feel like your parents rejected you. Uh-uh, not here. There are, there are people who will be your parents who will love on you and, and take care of you. You might think you don't have any kids. Look around. There are lots of kids here that you can love on and be kind to and help them grow up and become what God wants them to become. You are a part of your family. And so when you recognize that you are a part of a family, what you realize is it's really hard to just leave a family very quick. You just can't, you just can't jump ship if you don't like something. People who are not a part of a family, man, I, and I hear it all the time, not from just other churches and all these other different places, happens all the time. They didn't like this. They changed this sign. Actually, you did this. Well, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. Oh, you put it back. Okay, I'm going to come back and be part of the family. Oh, you don't want me? I'm out of this family. Forget you. Oh, I'm back because I like what you're doing now. I mean, how would your family dynamic be if people opted in and out of your family depending on what you were serving for dinner? It wouldn't it would work really well. You'd be like, I don't trust you because if I do something wrong, you're hitting the eject button. If I do something right, you're going to come back and say, oh, I love my family. No, you don't. You love you. When you know that you're a part of a family, you invest. You put up with meals you don't like because you like the person you're sitting next to better than you do the food that you're eating. Because you're a part of a family. And that gives confidence to your church. Gives confidence to your family. I'm in this with you. I know you're struggling. Listen, don't you give up. I'm not giving up on you. You better not give up. There's a sense of love and commitment. And we're in this together. Because we're better together. And people come to churches for all kinds of reasons. And there's nothing wrong with them why they would come to a church. They come because they like the pastor or they like the music or they like the children's ministry or the youth ministry. But here's the deal. They stay because they are in relationship. That's why they stay. They stay when they recognize they're a part of the family. And here's, you don't have to know everybody in this church, but you need to know somebody to be a part of this family. I heard a study about church, and it says this, that if a person comes to a church, and they know within a year, if they can get to know seven people, just seven people, doesn't have to, you're not best friends with seven people, but you get to know seven people, and you engage with them, by the end of the year, you're going to stay in the church. If you don't know seven people, or around seven people, more than likely you're going to leave. The greatest benefit of small groups is to be able to have relationships with people that you can do life with. It doesn't mean you got to hang out all the time. It, does, it just means you recognize that I need you in my life and you need me in your life. That's all it does. That's all it means. There was actually, it was just fascinating, the study that I found um, this week. It was presented actually in a TED Talk by a, a gal named Susan Pinkner. And so she took all of these studies that happened. One of them was from Harvard. Another one was a school um, outside of Michigan. Another one was a school outside of Chicago. These people who looked at what, they, they actually, they found people who were living to be 100 years old and over. And they said what elements in their life allowed them to have a longer life than average people. And so what they found, the top two causes for a longer life was these two things. Social integration, in other words, you felt a part of a, of, a, of a social family and meaningful relationships. 
These were, these were actually ranked higher out of the study than even lifestyle. These were ranked higher than, than like if you were a vegetarian or not. Which I'm sorry if you are. God bless you. But these two things, social integration and meaningful relationships, they found this, which is, this is fascinating. They found that face-to-face, meaningful friendships released neurotransmitters that did some things. It reduced stress. It was, actual, it was an actual natural painkiller. It gave a sense of trust, and it lowered your level of cortisol, which then helped you have better life or ha- better health. And one of the reasons that they say women do live longer than men is because they work harder on engaging in relationships throughout their life than men do. And we know that, oh, that's actually true. Now, some say women live longer because women don't do as many stupid things as men do. That's probably for another discussion. (laughs) But they attract this (laughs) this whole idea that it's because women are actually engaged in real relationships, and most men are not. It just doesn't come natural for us. But this is where it gets crazy. It said women with close friendships who are diagnosed with breast cancer are four times more likely to survive than those who do not have meaningful friendships. The lowest rate of dementia is in people who are socially engaged and in meaningful friendships and relationships. Men who have had a stroke, the greatest help for recovery is for those men to meet regularly every week to engage in relationships, whether it was playing chess, playing checkers, playing cards, whatever it was, it actually helped their recovery much faster than if, if they were isolated. Why? Because God designed you to be in meaningful relationships. That's why he made you. So this, this actually matters more than, than what we know. But the reality is this. You need folks during the day or during the week to be able to share what you're going through. You need somebody that you could say, hey, man, will you pray for me? Or, man, I'm dealing with Also, it helps us to realize that we're not the only ones who actually have bad days or bad weeks. That we're actually all facing things together as a family. We're dealing with things together. And some are difficult and some are great. Or maybe it helps you realize or someone else has lived through the difficult situation and you can learn godly principles through talking with them. And they can say, you know what, I've been through that. This is what I learned. And they can help you. That's what's called being a family. A third thing of why we are going to do small groups and believe that they are the key to unlocking God's purpose and plan for your life is this, that small groups help us or help meet our practical needs. Small groups just naturally help meet our practical needs. This is what happened in Acts 2.45. As they were meeting in each other's homes, it says that they shared with anyone who is in need. Now, this is really practical. Like, you, you need someone to help you move a couch? I'll help you. I'm in your small group. You need a babysitter? Well, let me babysit. I'm, you know, I'm happy here to, to help you. You need someone to take you to the airport? Well, get, a, get an Uber. I don't need to take you there. But anyway. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you need a meal because life's crazy? Then, man, listen. We're going to bring you some meal. We're going to bring you some food. We're going we're to take care of you. 
And when someone is not in a small group, they don't have the opportunity to receive help, nor do you have the opportunity to give someone else help. I was talking with my assistant, Heather, this week, and her husband, many years ago, he was in a, um, he was, he's a police officer, and he was in a car crash on duty. And, I mean, he, he, was, he was in bad shape. He was in the hospital for, for a while. And all of a sudden, at the hospital, their small group shows up to pray for him, to make sure they're doing okay. They brought them meals. They prayed for them. When, when one t- they were expecting a child in a small group. Gal drove by and dropped off a stroller on their, on their front porch and said, oh, you need a stroller. Here's a stroller. They gave strength to their family through a very difficult, difficult time. Matter of fact, the small group pulled together and helped pay for their, their kids' tuition to continue at, at FCA. They received gift cards to help to buy food and go to King Supers and just they just became a family. That's the same for, for all of us. When, when, when someone goes in the hospital, this isn't all about just care, but also when someone goes in the hospital, you can receive care from your, from your small group or food or visitors. And as pastors, yes, we could come and visit you in the hospital, but the reality is you have a deeper relationship with your small group than you do with the pastors in this church. Your small group knows you. Your small group's been praying for you. Small group meets with you weekly or every other week or whatever the the cycle is for your your small group. Maybe you've been doing outreach together. You've been studying the word together. And so they, they can show up and say, what in the world's going on? What happened? A small group can do that. There's nowhere in the Bible that says the pastors of the church are the only ones who can pray for people, go and see people in the hospital, help you. Really, our job as pastors is to equip and give opportunities for the body of Christ to be ministers, for the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. This church exists to help each other out, and the, and the reality is this, we can only do that if we are all willing to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to one another and to the community around us. That's the only way. God never intended I'm going to say something to you today, and I I hope you hear me and hear my heart. God never intended the church to be a one-man superstar show who can juggle flaming torches and, you know, play a guitar with his foot and play a drum with it. God never intended for church to be that, to come, come and see show. Let me see what movie's playing today. God never intended that to be. He intended the church to be called a people, a people group of ministers. And that's why here at the church we believe that every member of our church is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You you are gifted with gifts. You are gifted with callings. God has placed his hand on you. And you can serve God wherever you are, but particularly in a small group. And I know there are people who feel lonely and I've talked to them who feel like, you know, this, I just, I'm, the church is too big or the church is this. Here's the reality. If you want to be connected in a relationship, it takes your decision to say, I'm going to be connected in a small group. You can't force that because those deep relationships will never happen on a Sunday morning. These, your deep relationships are going to happen on your small group fellowship. That's where they're going to happen. 
And small groups help meet those needs. And most of the time, what hinders that engagement from, for you to be engaged in a real family life of a church is what hinders it is, one, the, the leaders of the church, we don't have a system in place. So you're like, yeah, that sounds great, Jason. I'm like, yeah, I want you to get involved. Well, how do I get involved? Well, I don't know. Good question. That's one, one of the reasons. The, the other one is we, we don't promote it enough. And so we're committed here to create a system, a practical system that works out small groups in the life of the body. Because I, I would love for us to, as we continue to grow throughout this year in these small groups, as we continue to be connected to one another, I would love for us to begin to step into what it means to be actually a family or the body of Christ. And I believe in small groups. I believe in them with all my heart. I believe, I believe that if you can be engaged with one, a part of someone else's life, that, that it can transform your life. But here's the deal. I'm not putting the system together to lead our small groups. We have an incredible small groups director. She's been, she's been working on this. She's been raising up leaders over the last several months. She's been putting plans together, systems together. And when you walked in today, you saw all that out there. And so just as this is our small group Sunday, I want to introduce you to you our small groups director, which is Lisa Levesque. Lisa, if you'd come on up. Come on, let's welcome Lisa. And, and Lisa, because small groups is incredibly practical, she, she wants to give us some practical kind of advice. Now listen, don't let her size fool you. She will body slam you in a moment. So anyway, so if you act up in small groups, she's the bouncer. She's going to mess with you. Anyway, Lisa, so tell us, what's, what's going on with small groups and, and all the different moving pieces? I'm way nicer than that. Oh, you are nicer, nicer, yes. No, anyway. you are, you are. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, yeah, so we are um, launching our small groups this morning, and a lot of you have been involved in small groups in the past here, um, and some of you are currently involved in small groups, and that is amazing, but the reality is that the vast majority of those of us here at Faith are not involved in a small group um, in any way, whether it's a women's group, men's group, uh, marriage group, there's groups for care, there's fun activity groups um, that you can find as well, and we want to find a way to help you connect um, in a group. And so when you leave the atrium today, uh, leave, sorry, leave the sanctuary today out into the atrium, um, there's lots of different groups to choose from, and later on today you'll be able to find them online as well. But we encourage you just to, to plug in for 13 weeks. Um, we will be starting the week of February 11th is when your first group would meet sometime that week, whatever day of the week it is, and um, go through the second week of May. And, and then we'll have a break after that. But um, we just encourage you to commit to um, joining and fellowshipping in a group. We have um, a lot of people who came forward who are stepping out of their comfort zone to host a group um, for this semester. And maybe through this semester you'll realize it's actually pretty painless and you might want to do that as well. It is a great way to... Um, do what we're called to do, and that's to disciple one another. And this is, we're not going out. This is actually inviting people into your home, or we have people who are meeting, excuse me, here at the church. And so there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And um, what Pastor Jason was talking about earlier, too, with everything that we do, we want it to be gospel-centered. So no matter what kind of group you're in, the gospel is the center of your group. Jesus is the center of that group, and that's what makes it different from just joining a social group. Um, and so 
Uh, after first service today, we had a lot of people up there, and we had close to 200 people that have um, signed up for a small group that um, have, were not in one. So we're excited about that. We want you to join in that as well. You can check them out um, in the atrium after, and I'll be out there, and there'll be some small group leaders out there as well um, that are hosting, and they can help answer your questions. So hopefully you can find something um, that will work for you and your family, and we just are excited to hear the stories of what God's going to do in your life as we move forward with our small groups. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it. So here's the last point today. Why small groups? Before I get into that, I don't know if you caught, she was talking about a semester system and, and how, why we're doing the semester system. Because you might get in a small group that will last for 13 weeks and you're like, you know, that was really good, but I'd like to try another one. Guess what? You just try another one the next when we launch semesters again. And so there isn't this pressure that once you sign up for a small group, you got to put up with these people or like tell them you're sick for three weeks and then just don't show up the fourth week. Listen, forget that. You can, you can just say, that was great. I'm, you know, no, we're good. And then just jump in another group that's totally, you're totally free to do that because we understand there's a process of getting connected with different types of people and that's important to you. So we, we, I want you to know there's freedom in that and that's why we do it the semester system. So we're starting small groups all at the same time. We're ending small groups all at the same time. Then we're launching again all at the same time so that we're all at sync as a church and we do all our promotion, we do all of our signups, it just helps sync everything out. But the fourth reason why we do small groups is this one. Number four, small groups give an opportunity to share Christ with others. This is a big deal, a big deal to me, that people have opportunities to receive Christ in their life. Proverbs 11.30 is, I want you to hear this for a moment, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he or she who wins souls is wise. This doesn't, this doesn't mean you have to be the one to get them to pray the prayer. You just have to be a part of a community that's committed to helping people find Jesus Christ. If you're part of that, if you can serve, you, maybe, maybe God has given you the gift of evangelism. Maybe God's given you the gift of helps. Maybe God's giving you the gift of administration. But the reality is we are all working together for this purpose, to help win souls. That's what we want. This, this is why we exist as a church. For the gospel will be the center of our lives. So that not only are we making disciples, but we're actually helping people come to know Jesus Christ. Small groups is a way to connect people to Jesus. And here's the deal. The, the Lord added to their numbers. I want, hang with me just for a moment. I know when the music starts playing, we're like, what, is this, what are we having for lunch today? But just hang tight. Hang with me. I don't know. What are you, you going to have today, John? Well, I was kind of dreaming about it, but I don't know. Okay, yeah. I'm thinking Mexican food. But anyway, we'll just move <laughs> no, on. Just kidding. I have no idea. <laughs> See, I did that to get you all's attention. All right, here we go. The reality is this, that the Lord added to their numbers through their small groups. Yes, the large gathering, which is why we say, listen, when's the last time you invited somebody to church? But also through small groups, through their small group fellowship. Listen, I know that you have friends who if you paid them $20, they wouldn't come to church with you. They think, no way. I don't care how many free donuts you give them, they're not coming to church with you. Because many of people think the church just wants to beat them up or tell them how terrible they are, and then while they're down, take their money. But here's the beauty about small groups. Those same people would totally be open to an invitation to come. 
to a casual Bible discussion maybe, or to maybe be in someone's home or an office setting or go to a park or they might even be open to do an outreach with you to go feed the, just feed the hungry. So your small group is going to go feed the homeless one night. Why don't you just come with us, go feed the homeless. Might be open to come to a barbecue and just, hey, come on over, you know, whatever. We're just hanging out. You should just come. And in a small group, you have unbelieving friends. They can ask questions. They can get to know other Christians. They think, you know, not all Christians are weird. Some of us are, but not all of us. Not all of us. And they can maybe ask questions or about something's going on in their life. Or maybe they doubt some things with God. Maybe they've been through a lot of pain and they're hurt towards God. Well, they can come and express that and not be judged. And see, when your friends see the warmth and acceptance and the kindness and the honesty of a gospel-centered small group, it's going to open their hearts to be receptive to receive Christ. I mean, why do small groups matter? They matter because we truly are better together. We truly can have an impact that we cannot have just by large group worship. Large group worship is necessary. It is important. But there's more. This meets that, that meets one side. The other side is our small group. So I just, I want to encourage you that God has a place for you. You belong in this church. You belong here. You have a family. And you're going to have to risk. It's, it's, just, it's just how it is. Have you ever been to like a a family reunion where you show up and maybe you haven't been to one in several years and so you show up and they're like, this is your cousin. And you're like, hi. Because you've never met them before. It's been like 10 years since you've seen them. But you realize they're still my family. So after your second piece of fried chicken, you think, you know, I like this person. And all of a sudden you begin to think, wow, this is my family. Wow, I didn't realize I had so many people in my life. But it took you that awkward moment to show up at a family reunion. And then you leave there with like a sense of like, I like these people. Not all of them, but I do like most of them. That's what small groups is about. It's taking this large group worship. And let's also take another step to say, you know what? I want to be part of a family that we can grow together. We can become more like Christ together. We can be on mission together. Church isn't about the superstar juggler that's in front of everybody. It's not about the light show. It's not about, it's, you know what, it's my family. You blow this building up, and guess what? Family still exists. We still exist. So my encouragement to you today is when we leave here, there are tables out there. I just want to ask you to take a step. Take a step of faith. Sign up for a small group. If you have any questions about the small group, you can talk to Lisa, who's out there. You can talk to any of the other small group leaders that are out there. If you want to know, if you want to find out what's, is there a, a group for young marriage? Is there a group for um, parents? Is there a group for singles? If just, you can ask them. They'll tell you all of that. And we can begin to go on a journey of getting to know each other and actually fulfilling the New Testament model of church. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of something that spectacular I want to be a part of a church that we see the miracles of God happening in people's lives not with the the touch on the head and the woo hallelujah there's nothing wrong with that 
I'm talking about life on life family that happens. And all of a sudden I hear, hey, guess what happened in our small group? Hey, guess what happened with this person this week? Hey, guess what? So-and-so brought their friend, and, and they're really open to, to Jesus now. Hey, you know, we met this, these person's needs, and all of a sudden they're like, Jason who? I love my small group. Yeah, I'll come to church, but I love my small group. And so we need to grow as a family in that because we really are better We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.